Today we're speaking with Sandy Chernoff from Vancouver in Canada. And Sandy's story is, as you'll hear, unusual. She's a former dental hygienist. She made a move into training. Uh, in fact, she was trained by an international women's organization to be a leadership trainer. I love this episode because Sandy does most of the talking, which is a nice change. And I let her do so because she's got so much to share with us, both you and, of course, with me as as uh, the person behind the microphone. And I really can say I learned a lot from Sandy today. Her attitude, her positive demeanor is so inspirational. It's a great story. And I know you'll enjoy listening to Sandy as much as I did. This is episode 12 of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Cue the music. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hi, welcome to the show. As I say every week after the music, my name is Mark Garrett Hayes, and this is the trainingbusiness.com podcast. It's the show for you, for training business owners all around the world. And the premise or goal of the show of each episode is very simple. It's to help you in some way to start to grow and to scale your training business. Today's guest is Sandy Chernoff from Canada in Vancouver, specifically. And Sandy is a communication skills, soft skills trainer and has a website called softskillsforsuccess.com. And for 30 years, she has been gathering experience working with nonprofits, with law firms, teaching institutions, various professional organizations. She's been a conference speaker and produces learning programs for other vendors, not just herself. And she's written a book called The Five Secrets to Effective Communication, which, as she says, is designed to reduce conflict, resentment, and disappointment. So with that in mind as an introduction, Sandy, I'd like to say thank you for your time and for being our guest this week. And I'll thank you again after the interview. I know you're listening to this. So without further ado, let's meet Sandy. Sandy, hi, and welcome on the program. Thanks so much for taking part in today's interview. Let's start with the first question, which is, do you work with your own direct clients or do you work with training companies as one of their associate trainers or freelance trainers, or do you do both? I do both, Mark. That's what's kind of interesting. I I am subcontracted to a very large payroll company. And here's the interesting thing. They have a division called LifeWorks, and they offer their clients about 80 different workshops on a whole whack of things, but many of them are soft skills. And so I do workshops for their clients, and they actually send me their materials. Now, the interesting thing is that the person who does the research for their programs does an excellent job, but is terrible at doing PowerPoint. (laughs) They send me their PowerPoints. I'm not supposed to change it, but I do. I don't change the content, but I animate the slides and I make the fonts bigger because she uses fonts that are like 14 and 18. You know, if I'm in a training room, no one can see that. I don't like to use fonts that are smaller than 24 or 28 if I possibly can, and bigger ones are better. So the first thing I do when they send me the programs, and I just got another one today because I got another contract for them next month, 
was to go through and change all the font sizes. And then in addition, she mostly sends me bulleted lists. No one remembers bulleted lists. So I tend to make them make the slides have less on them and at least animate the bullets so that I can bring them on one at a time and talk at them because uh, talk about them rather because of course what happens when you bring on a whole slide full of text, your audience can read it faster than you can speak it. So they disengage. And what do they need you for? You can stand at the back of the room. So have you finished reading the slide? Good. I'll change the next one for you. I mean, like, what good does that do? And I also tend to add more pictures to her slides because she has very few pictures. And again, you know, more people are usually better at verbal learning than they are at, I'm sorry, at visual learning rather than they are at verbal learning. So if you can reinforce the point you're getting across with a picture and a story, they're going to remember it much better than just a bunch of words. And I then I also work for a guy who has a company called Lunch and Learn. <laughs> I have some of my programs up on his website, and if his clients want it, then I go and do it for him, and and he pays me. But they're my programs, and the rest of my clients and the rest of the training that I do is all my materials, and they're all my clients. And here's the interesting thing that I discovered after a while. It took me a while to figure this out, Mark. I get about 80 to 90% of my new contracts through my website. Because what I discovered with soft skills training is this. Most people don't buy soft skills training from an ad in a magazine or a newspaper or a booth in a trade show. Where When they have a problem, they Google a problem. So if your website doesn't work well and you don't come up on the first or maybe the second page, no one will find you. And so I have a, a guy who's fantastic with SEO and I have him tweak my website at least a couple times a year. Or if I have anything else done to the website, I just get him to, to tweak it. And I've also, when I had it put onto WordPress, I had the person who did it come to my house. I paid them an extra hour to teach me how to use the back end of, of WordPress. I can do a lot of stuff myself. So I blog on it because, you know, the other thing is Google has bots that they send out over the Internet to see what's going on with the websites and with your social media profiles and stuff. And if your profile and your website are not actively growing, like if you're not sharing information that they feel is important and, and good quality, your Google Analytics go in the toilet. Really? Yes. So I blog, I actually blog on three sites. I have two websites. I have my soft skills for success website, which is my training website. And then I have another website called Paladin Coaching, where I have e-learning programs and I have a partner in that business. And then I also blog on another site that's owned by a guy in Tampa, Florida. It's called Biz Catalyst 360. And it's a blog site that has all kinds of business information on it. And he has guest columnists and he has regular columnists. And I'm a regular columnist. I have my own masthead on his website. It's called Soft Skills Matter. And I send him articles and they put them up about every 10 days to two weeks. And then he has groups on Facebook and LinkedIn and, you know, everything. And he sometimes republishes through there. And in addition, he has a newsletter that he sends out. He's got hundreds of thousands of followers. And he sends out this newsletter and he chooses articles 
from his regular columnist to put in that newsletter. So sometimes I'm in that newsletter. In addition, he collaborates with other websites and sometimes my blogs get picked up by other websites too. So it's a really, it's really good for your profile, you know, in terms of people realizing that you must know what you're talking about, <laughs> which, is key, which is key when you're a trainer, right? <laughs> and the thing is, you've got maybe two minutes to grab your audience. And if you don't grab them in their in that first couple of minutes, you're going to be chasing them for the whole time you're standing in front of them. So you better have an opening that grabs their attention. I usually start with either a question or a challenge or a game. And, you know, that way I sort of get them talking to each other. And I always bring prizes when I do the games. But I, I don't I don't give lectures, Mark. Basically, my workshops are very interactive. What I generally do is... I teach a concept and then I give them something to do. Either they answer a questionnaire and we debrief it or they do something with a partner or they do something in groups. And what I usually do when I have a new client is I sit down with them either face to face or over the phone and actually with one group that was sort of at a far out stubborn and I didn't want to drive for an hour and a half to talk to them. We did it on Skype. I want to, I have what I call a discussion interview. I want to really drill down and find out what their problems are so that I can create a program that will address their specific needs and provide their people with the skills and strategies and tools that will help them to overcome these issues. So I always say to the client, I say, you know, I'm, I'm very sorry, but I'm going to have to put you to work. And they kind of look at me and they go, what? I say, well, listen, here's what I want. I want you to give me the typical scenarios that they're struggling with, situations that they haven't had good outcomes from. And then what I'm going to do is I will put those into the PowerPoint, but I will also bring hard copies and I'm going to put them into groups. And after I've taught them some new strategies and approaches, then I'm going to give them the scenarios that they know. And now they have new ways of approaching them so that they can have better outcomes. And it solves a number of problems. First of all, they see why they're learning this stuff. Secondly, when they see they can get a better outcome, we have a far better chance they're actually going to start doing what I'm, what I'm teaching them. So, you know, and those are always a good exercise. I've had people come up to me at the break and go, how did you know that stuff? <laughs> I mean, I can make up scenarios, but if they don't resonate with the people, it's not going to be helpful. I'd rather have situations that they're familiar with so that it will resonate and it will make sense. And so that's why, I, you know, I usually get because it's usually an HR person or a training and development person who who contacts me. And so they understand why I want that. And um, it usually works out very well. I like to have fun. And I want the people that are in my workshop to be having fun. Because if people are enjoying their learning experience, you have created a far more conducive to retentive learning kind of atmosphere, and you're going to have much better outcomes. I'll tell you one other thing, Mark, that's sort of interesting and different about me. Um, I have a degree in education, but I'm a dental hygienist. <laughs> and I practiced clinical dental hygiene for over 40 years. Now, here's something interesting about dental hygiene. Your most important role as a dental hygienist is you're a dental health educator. Because if your patients don't understand why you want them to brush and floss and why we are recommending certain treatment protocols, they won't move forward with it and they won't do it. So you want them to be informed. And the only way they can be informed is if we educate them about their dental health and how it relates to their overall physiology. Because it is, you know, your head's attached. So... 
<laughs> it's, it's very important to understand these things. So I was trained as a volunteer to be a leadership trainer because not-for-profit organizations that rely on volunteers who don't build leadership die because they burn out their leaders. You know, if you aren't replacing your leaders, people just get burnt out as volunteers. But they have a problem. They don't have the money to hire professional facilitators on a regular basis because not-for-profits don't have a lot of money. So it becomes a conundrum. So this large women's organization that I belong to um, about 25 to 30 years ago, the woman who was the national president and the woman who held the portfolio for training and development, both of whom were volunteers, were very smart and put their heads together and said, you know what? We have some very remarkable women in our upper echelon of leadership. Why don't we make an investment in a group of volunteers so that we have in-house volunteer trainers? So they hired a woman who had done some leadership training for us. She came from California actually. And um, they had a conversation with her to discuss what the needs were in the organization at the time. And this woman developed a train the trainer program. They chose nine of us from coast to coast. They flew us to Toronto, they paid for our flights, and they paid for our training. We were there for a week. But we paid for our hotel, for our meals and our incidental taxis. But at the end of a week, they had nine professionally trained volunteers who could now provide them with in-house training. And they would pay for our transportation. Like if we drove somewhere, they paid for our gas. If we flew somewhere, they would pay for our flights. But the local community would organize the event and the women there would pay a fee and they would usually bill it us in somebody's house. So we were not out of pocket. And you know, now they had a really good training team. So we mostly did this on weekends. So you have to love your kids, Mark. <laughs> so one weekend, I come home from training and my 17-year-old son looks at me and he goes, Mom, you're really good at this. You should do it for real. And I looked at him and I went, for heaven's sakes, I do do this for real. So he says, no, I mean, I know for money. He says, no, I mean for money. And I said, don't be ridiculous. I'm an old hygienist. And I was still practicing. And he looked at me and he said, and how much longer are you going to be able to do that? You have a sore back and you have hand problems. And all you're doing is working one day a week. And I mean, he was right. I knew it. So I kind of stood back and he said to me, listen, he said, you have a list of your modules. You have a CV. Go to Kinko's and get a business card and start soliciting business. So I kind of stepped back, Mark, and I thought, what have I got to lose? Because as a solopreneur who doesn't need a storefront, it's not expensive to open a training business. I work from home and I already had a computer and I already had all the materials. So I stepped back and thought, you know what? Maybe he's not so, you know, like maybe this isn't such a bad idea. <laughs> so, so I actually went to Kinko's and got a business card <laughs> And I started, I started with large law firms. My husband's a lawyer and I knew that the large law firms had training budgets. So I started phoning lawyers, which was a huge mistake. Um, so they, they just all kept saying, you oh, know, talk to HR, talk to HR. So I would just phone the large law firms and talk to their HR managers. And I started doing lunch and learns for large law firms. But then because of my experience as a volunteer and putting on large events, I had a little conversation with myself and I said, how's anyone going to know you're doing this? So I got out the yellow pages because back then we still had hard copy yellow pages. And I phoned every professional organization in the yellow pages and I asked them the following questions. One, 
Do you provide continuing education courses for your members? Because most professional organizations require that you do continuing ed to maintain your license. Number two, do you have an annual conference? And number three, if so, how do you find your speakers? And would you be interested in the programming I could provide you? So I started getting in front of potential clients by speaking at professional conferences and providing continuing education courses to a wide variety of professionals. So the, the first thing that happened, Mark, that was so funny was I started to get this question. Do you have a website? Do you have a website? I didn't even know what a website was. <laughs> You know, like things like this. So, I mean, for me, because as an older person who for whom the computer is not intuitive, it's been a huge and very steep learning curve. Most of my friends think I'm completely crazy and can't believe what I'm doing because most of them are retired. But I'm just having so much fun. And it's very good because it forces me to learn new stuff all the time, which is good for an aging brain. So, you know, it's just it's been a very interesting journey, if you will. And so I, I got a website and I actually had one of my nieces design it for me. She was dabbling in web design in high school and I used it as a virtual brochure. But then I realized I wasn't getting any business through my website. So I go back to my kids and my daughter looks at me like I'd landed from the moon. She said, of course, you're not getting any business. You need your SEO fixed. I went, my what? <laughs> So she gave me the name of a guy who's been working on my site since 2003, and he's fantastic with SEO. And so he, you know, explained to me, and they started talking tech speak. And I said, listen, Nathaniel, just tell me what you need from me in English, and I'll give it to you. So he rebuilt my website, and he's the one that sort of helps me with different kinds of things. And then when I had it transferred onto WordPress, I had him, I sent him an email and said, I probably screwed up the SEO, you better fix it. And then when I had it made mobile friendly, same thing. But by then, he knew I was pretty familiar with the back end. So he writes me an email, and he says to me, I've done everything I have to do, he said, and I know that you know how to do the backlinks on your website, and you don't want to pay me $100 an hour to do it for you. So go in and redo all your backlinks. <laughs> it was very funny. But it's just, you know, you have to learn these things because today that's where we are. If you aren't able to, that somebody can pull you up on their smartphone, you don't exist. And you, you have to you have to learn these things. I mean, there just isn't a choice. And so, you know, you just have to sort of bite the bullet and learn what you have to learn. And I've just found it very interesting because I actually like learning new things. I mean, I sort of find it fun. I get bored if I don't have things that are challenging me, which is why, I mean, basically, I almost never do exactly the same workshop twice because it's not applicable. And and the other thing people say to you, Mark, is, you know, we should you should have a target market. So I always look at people and I go, yes, it depends on your business. I said, so here's my problem. Name me an industry that doesn't have people. You know, people look at me like I've landed from the moon. And I say, okay, um, that's the reason why I don't have a target market, because every industry has people and I solve people problems. So it doesn't matter what industry it is. They need my help. And in fact, when I teach presentation skills, Mark, I turn my back to the audience and I go, can you see my invisible backpack? It's full of what if. What if this happens? What if that happens? What, you know, in other words, it's, it's the anticipation exercise that you do before you stand in front of an audience. You know, 
you don't know, are you, because every time you're in front of a new audience, you have no idea what the dynamic of that cohort is going to be. And so, I mean, the more experienced you are, and if you get some information about the audience ahead of time, it can be helpful. But it doesn't mean that something won't crop up that you didn't expect. And I think that it's just a matter of my, my, um, sort of attitude, if you will, at this point is, you know, I've, I've seen this, I've seen that, I've seen this, and I can do this and this and this. And if something else happens, I'll figure it out. You know, when you can tell when your audience is engaged because they are asking questions, they're nodding at things and they're smiling and you can see that they're taking it in and, and it's, you know, it's making sense to them, whatever. And if they are, if it isn't, then you have to say, you know, to your audience, well, obviously I didn't explain that very well. So how about if we try that again? You know, whatever. But again, what another thing that I tell people when I teach presentation skills, I said, you know, if all of a sudden you realize you forgot to tell them something that you think is really important, so don't tell them you forgot. <laughs> said instead, just say, here's something really important I want to make sure you take away, and then give it to them. Because sometimes when you take it out of a out of context, out of a list of things, they'll actually remember it better. So it's not necessarily a bad thing if you suddenly remember something that you wanted to get across and you haven't included it yet. The audience doesn't need to know you forgot. No, they don't. Absolutely not. How many years have you been in the training business, Sandy? I've been doing this this um, business now for 15 years, but I have been teaching for 35 years, almost 40 years, because not only, you know, did I do one-on-one teaching with patients, but I got involved in doing continuing education for in my profession. And a colleague and I started the first dental hygiene study club in Canada because dentists had those continuing education opportunities and dental hygienists didn't. And so Steph and I sort of sat down one day and we said, well, why don't we have them? I mean, you know, dentists get to do it and they get all kinds of credit hours for it. How come nobody has one for us? So we looked at each other and went, fine, we're going to start one. (laughs) And we actually, we ran it for 10 years and we ran it in two locations. We ran it in in my dad's office in Vancouver because he had a big clinic. And then Steph had a contact in West Vancouver, which is where she lived. And so we ran one over there as well. So we ran two. And we never had trouble getting people to come to it because the advantage to what's called a study club is that it runs for a year and you meet once a month. So for example, if you go to a a one-shot workshop and you walk away, sometimes afterwards you have questions, but now you don't have access to the facilitator. But when it's an ongoing thing, if something crops up later, when you go back to the office and you go, oh, this isn't working out or hmm, I should have asked this question. The next month when you come back, you can ask the question. So it's, you know, it's actually a, a, a better, more reinforcing way of, of doing continuing education. And the other thing people fear is questions that they don't know the answer to, Mark. So I always tell people, yes, what you have to do, and that's part of the what if, try and anticipate what sort of questions your audience might want to ask and prepare answers for that. However, <clears throat> you can't anticipate every question. And if someone asks a question that you don't know the answer to, never, ever, ever fudge an answer. There are two things you can do. The first thing I always do is I go, great question. Anybody out there know the answer? Because likely somebody out there will know. However, unfortunately, they may not help you. (laughs) Because maybe they don't want to speak in front of the group. So if nobody helps you, you can say, okay, 
I don't know the answer either. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to research it. And anybody who wants to know what I find out, please come up at the break or at the end of the session and bring me your email address and I will send you what I discover. And because, I mean, we're human. We can't really be expected to know absolutely everything. And if somebody comes up with something from left field that we don't know, it's okay. You don't need to feel stupid. You don't need to feel unnerved about it. You just go, okay, interesting. Great chance for me to learn something. Thank you so much for bringing that up. I've never heard that before. What's wrong with that? (laughs) So, you know, because that's something that people are very afraid of. Oh, what if they ask me something I don't know? And I'd stand there, you know, looking like an idiot. You don't stand there looking like an idiot. You stand there looking like you're human. And it's okay to be human. There's nothing wrong with that. I even sometimes will sell, will tell self-deprecating stories to show them that I, that I'm human. (laughs) You don't need to think I'm perfect. I'm not. None of us are. One of the things I also do when I speak at conferences, Mark, because sometimes, you know, I can have two, three hundred people in a in an auditorium or something, you know, at some of these big conferences. Because, for example, the Pacific Dental Conference that happens here every year in Vancouver, it's one of the largest conferences in North America. We have between twelve and 15,000 people that come to this conference. It's enormous. So, and I tell this also when I teach presentation skills, I said, listen, you know, the thing you have to do is you have to come early because you have to make sure that the technological issues, whatever those may be, are straightened out before your audience comes so that you can just start your, you know, your PowerPoint and, and whatever else, you know, if you had handouts or whatever, that everything's set up before your audience comes. And I always do that. I always come at least a half an hour ahead. So when I'm done, then I, I actually try to situate myself closer to the door so that I can kind of introduce myself to people as they come in and have little conversations with people so that by the time I address the group, it isn't necessarily a room full of strangers. Not that I'm going to meet everybody, but at least I've met a few. And then you can also sort of bring the conversations into part of what you're saying. Oh, you know, when I was talking to Tom, when he came in, he told me that your group does such and such. So here's an idea, you know, whatever, just different things like that, that again, sort of connect you better to the audience and make you not feel like that person up on the stage, but one of them. And I also hate being on a stage. I I prefer to be able to walk around in the audience. You know, a lot of people come in and they sit at the back because they think they be far away. I always come to the back of the room and I tell them, if you think you're hiding back here, I walk around when I speak. I have a remote box. I can change the slides from back here. Why don't you move up closer to the front? You'll be able to hear and see better. I don't know. I don't like the separation from the audience. I I prefer, because again, also because I like it to be interactive, I always walk around when they're doing an exercise in case somebody wants to ask a question they didn't want to ask in front of the whole group or, you know, if they've run into a little glitch while they're working on the whatever they've been assigned to do. And so I'm always walking around and talking to people while they're doing their exercise. It's just, I don't know, I think you need to connect better with your audience if you're going to be successful. You have to be natural. You have to be authentic. Don't try and be someone you're not. So just I tell people, just pretend that you're talking to a group of your friends. How do you behave when you're talking to your friends? It shouldn't be any different when you're delivering information to other people. And if you think of it in that way, then you can just be yourself. And if you're yourself and you're comfortable with yourself, your audience will be comfortable. If you're nervous and you're uptight and you're not sure what to do and you make your audience very uptight and very uncomfortable, and that's not going to be an easy audience to deal with. That's, that's really not 
what training should be. And it's really not the way a trainer should be behaving. You need to be, and the word you use is absolutely right. You have to be flexible because sometimes you don't get what you want. Even when you tell people, yeah, you know, I want tables set up or I want, and then you come and it's theater style, you know? So then you just have to, don't let them, don't let the audience know that you're pissed, you know, just come in. Okay, well, fine. We'll figure it out. You know, make the move around anyway, you know, whatever. It's just a matter of, of you understanding that everything isn't probably always going to go your way and you need to have backup plans. It's just very important to be able to do that because otherwise you're going to be upset and your audience is going to know you're upset and now we're done. I mean, there's just, you know, there's, there's no point in that. And so people just have to come with a positive attitude that they'll figure it out. If I mean, I once flew up to Kelowna, which is a town in the interior of BC, to give a workshop to the Association of Professional Engineers and Geoscientists. And I flew up in the morning, I was giving it after lunch, which is the worst time to give it. I had the first um, workshop after lunchtime, Mark. Ugh. You know, that's when people fall asleep. And the room they gave me was set up like it was like teaching on a bus. It was a long, narrow room and it was set up theater style. And I, and, you know, I went to see the room and I went, Oh my God. <laughs> that was how I, I thought, Oh, and this is what I'm going to have after lunch. So as soon as I came in, the first thing I did was I put them into groups and we did a definition game and then they could go back to their seats. And then about 15 minutes later, I made them go back into their groups and do an exercise. And then they went back to like, I had them hopping up and sitting down and hopping up and sitting down <laughs> through the whole session, because I knew if they just sat in their seats, they'd fall asleep. <laughs> so, you know, right away, you have to do something that's going to keep them awake and keep them interested. Because otherwise, you're going to lose your audience and you're done. Like, you might as well just go home. <laughs> Because when I do, like, as I said, when I, when I have this definition game or some of the other games that I play, I always bring prizes because, you know, adults are no different from kids. They like stuff. So, you know, it's just, it, it has become my signature thing because some of the companies that I've done a lot of work with, like I have, I have a lot of construction clients and um, one company that I've worked with since about 2005, and I do early morning workshops for them. So one of the site supervisors came up to me one morning when I was setting up for, for a workshop. And he says, um, he comes up to me and goes, hi, Sandy. And I said, hi, Aaron, how are you? So he says, have you got your bag of candy? He said, can I have one? So I looked, said, have you been a good boy? He says, yeah. Okay, sure, you can have one, but don't tell anybody else. <laughs> oh, big kids. Well, they are. I mean, adults are really no different than kids. You know, they're just bigger. So it's just a matter of, of understanding. And then I and I also, I was doing, I was working at a an instructor's PD day at BCIT, which is one of our local universities. And I have a book, Mark, it's called Five Secrets to Effective Communication. And I call it my expensive business card, but I take it with me to everything. So I did three workshops at this PD day. I did one on stress management, one on dealing with millennials in the classroom, and one with creating more engaging sessions. So the third one, and this guy had been at all of them, He's sitting, and he was sitting right in front of me, and I'm starting to pack up. And I can see he's got his eye on my bag of candy. So he says to me, um, can I have one of those Werther's candies? They're my favorites. So I looked at him, and there was a woman sitting beside him. So I, said, I asked him the same question. He said, have you been a good boy this week? He said, oh, yeah. I said, okay, here, have one. He said, good, now I'm going to buy your book. So tell us about your book, Sandy. 
Well, my book is, it's very small. It only has about 132 pages. It's essentially a handbook to demystify the complexities of communication so that people can do it better. Because here's the thing I've discovered. Everybody thinks they know how to communicate, Mark, because they've been doing it since they were born, right? But the truth is, most of us aren't very good at it. So we end up with a lot of conflict, a lot of disappointment, a lot of resentment, a lot of complaining, a lot of confusion, all of which causes stress, which is not good. And it's the, re- the reason for that is because people don't understand how complex communication is, and so they don't do it very well. So I wrote this book in order to help demystify those complexities so that people could communicate better. I actually do seven or eight different workshops on communication. That's how complex that topic is. And so I took five of those topics and made a chapter on each of them in my book. So the first chapter is active listening. Then I have a chapter called accountability, one called assertiveness. Then I have a chapter on personality typing and one on gender differences in communication. Each chapter is laced with stories and examples. At the end of the chapter, I give the reader an exercise to try out what they just learned. And the last page of the chapter is a bulleted summary of the key aspects of that particular part of communication. So it's just kind of a, a summary to reinforce the key things I want you to take away from that particular aspect of communication. So that's how it's written. And I had it professionally done. I had a I hired a book project manager and she designed the book and helped me with the font size and the layout of the pages and everything. And she got me a really good editor. And then I, I used actually a Canadian printer. And so it's it it was professionally done because I went into a bookstore, Mark. It's very funny. I went into a local bookstore. It's a family bookstore. It's been around for years. And I asked to speak to the manager. And I asked her if she'd be interested in selling my book. So she looks at me and she goes, is it self-published? And I said, yes, it is. And she went, oh. So I pulled out my book and I handed it to her. And she said, oh, well, it doesn't look self-published. I said, well, it's self-published, but I said it was done professionally. She said, oh, yes, it looks very professional. We'll sell your book. (laughs) It's really funny. I told her afterwards, I said, listen, I've seen a lot of self-published books, so I know what your concern is. And a lot of them look like you ran it off on your own computer. Personally, I, I actually get very good feedback. I get a lot of repeat business from my clients, and I've even had some referral business from some of my clients because... They've been very happy because I customize. I'll give you one example of something that happened. I worked with a big storage company that has a rentals division. And the guy who was running who was running the rentals division, I worked with him and I did three half-day workshops for that rentals division. He ultimately left that company and went to another real estate company. And they hired a big training company to come in and do some training for them. And I think they probably spent a lot of money on it. They were very unhappy. And the reason they weren't happy is because the company just sent George in with, you know, their standard consistent topic uh, workshop on this topic, and it didn't suit their needs. So Daniel remembered that I had customized for them. So he called me and he told me, he said, you know, we want some more training and we were very unhappy with what happened. Can we work with you? And I said, sure, you and I know how to do this. We'll sit down. You tell me what you want. So we talked about it. And then he had me talk to three other people in the company to get their input on what they thought was going to be beneficial to their people. And then 
after I had those conversations, I reconvened with him and told him what I had learned. And then we selected the elements he wanted for the program. And then I put the program together. And I also provide my, my clients with a fully documented syllabus. It's not my PowerPoint slides. It's every concept fully developed, as well as the exercises we're going to do. Those are always in the handout. And I send them a PDF. They can either hard copy it or forward it to their people if they come in with tablets or laptops. The owner of the company came and we had about 30 people in their training room and they all had a wonderful time. It was on time management. And Daniel phoned me afterwards. He said that was so good. He said that was exactly what we wanted. I said, well, that's the difference between a large training company and somebody like me where I customize to suit your needs. I don't just take a workshop off the shelf and come in and deliver it because it usually doesn't resonate. And so, you know, and he gave me examples of certain things that were going on. I said, that's fine. We'll actually use that as an exercise. So, you know, it was just a matter of what do you want? And so that's an example of, you know, when you do things for people and they're happy with it because they get what they want, then, you know, you have satisfied them and they'll generally get a better ROI than somebody who comes in and just, you know, does whatever. I, I also did a huge training contract for one of the big law firms. It's a national firm. And I came in and did some stuff, but their their head office in Toronto decided that they wanted to continue with more of this kind of stuff, but they wanted to use a large training company. So they reluctantly brought in this training company and the HR managers called me in a few weeks after they'd had this training company and they said, the people hated this training company. They want you back. Can you do what they did? So they brought me back because everybody hated this training company. They didn't relate to them. They didn't, you know, get a sense of what they were really looking for. They just sent somebody in with a standard workshop and it didn't suit them. So it's just, you know, that's the difference between me and these large training companies. I know they have a lot of resources and they have a lot of people. And yes, you'll get something consistent. But, you know, I can produce something for you that if you want it repeated, so we'll repeat it. But I'm going to produce what you want and I'm going to work with you on it until you're happy with the content and the different things that we're going to do with the content. And I will even research like I created a program on memory and how to enhance it for a country club. <laughs> they wanted they, they wanted the people who work there to be more sensitive to the needs of their members. And so how could they pay attention to things? So I created this workshop giving them tips on how to remember different kinds of things, you know, so that they could recall, you know, who who liked their coffee this way and, you know, so on and so forth. It doesn't matter what they were looking for, but it was just tips on how to do it. And now that workshop, or, you know, at least the essence of it, I've, I've given so many times, people love that workshop. So it's just, you know, and I have a number of different versions because I've done it for, for um, meetups and I've done it for lunch and learns, but I've done it for a lot of different professions. And they just think it's, it's really a fun workshop. And I have some very interesting exercises that I do. One of them I also do in my customer service workshop. What I do is I, I tell everybody, I say, sit back. I'm going to read you a list of words. I just want you to listen to the words. So when I'm done, there's about 18 words in the list. I say, okay, now I want you to write down as many of the words as you can remember. And I'm going to tell you why you remembered the words that you did. And they look at me and they go, what? <laughs> 
So then I say, okay, how many people got the word dream? You know, people put up their hand. Very good. How many people got the word pillow? Put up their hand. I say, that's excellent. That's an example of primacy and recency. We need to remember the first thing we hear and the last thing we hear. Okay, how many people got the word night? People put up their hand very proudly. I said, that's very good. Night was repeated three times in the list. We usually remember things that are repeated. And then I say, okay, how many people got the word artichoke? So people put up their hands. So that's very good. Artichoke was smack dab in the middle of that list, and it didn't relate to any of the other words. So it was a surprise. It stood out. We remember things that are unusual. And then I pause, and I look around the room, and I say, okay, how many people got the word bed? And some people proudly put up their hand, and I go, that's very interesting. Bed wasn't in the list. And that's an example of false memory. And it's the reason why eyewitnesses are not necessarily that reliable. Because unless they are interviewed by the police or themselves, write everything down immediately after the incident, everything they saw and heard, hours, days, weeks, months, years later, they will not remember those details. However, their mind will fill in those gaps with things mm-hmm. that make sense, but are not necessarily the truth. Yes. So, We have to realize that with our clients and customers as well, that, you know, if something happens, unless they were good about writing it down right away, they'll come to us with something that isn't going to make a lot of sense to us. You know, and people always say the customer is always right. And I tell people the customer isn't always right. However, you don't want to embarrass them. So sometimes you just have to find a way to get around it and make them happy, even if it's their screw up. (laughs) It's just a matter of figuring out. You don't want them to walk out ha- unhappy because if they do, you'll not only lose a customer, but they're going to badmouth you. And with social media today, you can be in big trouble in a hurry. Sandy, where can people find out more about you? They can find me at www.softskillsforsuccess.com. That's my main website. But I also have e-learning courses at www.softskillsforsuccess.com. Paladin, P-A-L-A-D-I-N, coaching.com. And then my other blogging site is BizCatalyst360. It's B-I-Z Catalyst, C-A-T-A-L-Y-S-T, 360.com. And my masthead there is Soft Skills Matter. And that's where, you know, you can see the work that I do and read the blogs that I write and you know, stuff like that. I also have, um, of course, I, I'm on LinkedIn, as you know. I have a, a Twitter profile. I have a, um, a Facebook profile. I mean, if you just put my name in, it'll come up because <laughs> it's, it's part of my handle on both those websites. So, And I also am in Google+, because I was told that if you don't have a Google Plus profile, Google punishes you. Sandy, thank you so much for coming on today's program. Well, it's been fun. I, I figured it was going to be fun, Mark. I just had the idea that, you know, because you have a, a similar background in terms of, you know, doing the training and stuff, that, that we were going to be on the same page. Sandy, as I said before uh, the interview, thank you again for your generosity in giving us such an insight into your background and to your journey to becoming a training business owner. And of course, I will provide uh, the links to softskillsforsuccess.com and others mentioned by Sandy in the show notes. As for you, our listeners, thank you again 
for tuning in to us this Thursday or whichever day of the week it might be that you're listening to this episode. And thank you, of course, on behalf of the team here at trainingbusiness.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show for training business talk like this every single Thursday where we have experts, uh, people who are your peers and others on the show to share their training business journey with you. We'd love, if we may, ask you to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts because this helps us to promote the show and to attract the kinds of guests who, well, make this episode and every episode interesting and, of course, have some kind of secrets or some kind of advice which can help you with your training business journey. You can check out the podcast, of course, on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, Spotify, and on our website, which is www.trainingbusiness.com. Fresh episode for you next Thursday in episode 13. So until then, as I say every week, have a great training business week. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.